Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. Are you interested in getting the book you just published reviewed? Writing some piece of literature and need help getting it out there and promoted? Interested in sharing what piece of literature we should cover next? Well, fret not. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on Patreon, where your contribution can help in growing this podcast. For as low as $3 a month, a price less than a good, and I mean good, cup of coffee, you can help contribute to the growth of this podcast. Every bit helps, but as always, it is not necessary to do so, but will be appreciated. Find the Patreon link on our website, on our social media accounts, or email us and we can send it to you. Thank you. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening, and now on with the show. In this episode, we have concluded the story of Nuruddin Ali and his son, and of Shamsuddin Muhammad and his daughter, with night 24, and beginning a new story, the case of the tailor, the hunchback, or humpback, the Jew, the inspector, and the Christian, also known as the story of the humpback with night 25. This new story is, much like some of the earlier ones, a story within a story, and in this episode, we are introduced to the Christian's story, the story told by the Christian broker. This is one of the stories where there is a clear appeal to the merchant crowd being made, with references to trading, weights and measures, trading methods being employed, which the merchants would be aware of, and the naming of locations in Cairo where the merchants may have themselves stopped. Although the story itself is set in the Iraqi city of Basra, Cairo was still an important trading city. Much of the architecture and area mentioned were built during the Fatimid period in the 10th and 11th centuries, well after the reign of Harun al-Rashid, which may give an indication that these stories were written down or created sometime after the heyday of the Abbasid Khalifate. We here at In the Great Khan's Tent would like to take this opportunity to thank Sandman Story Presents for featuring us on his podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Auzubillah minashaitan nirajim bismillahirrahman nirrahim In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the beneficent King, the creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, our Lord and Master Muhammad Wasallam, and his family. Blessings and peace, enduring and constant unto the day of judgment. Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after, so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, 
and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. And of these admonitory instances are the histories called the Thousand and One Nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. Sherzad continued. Two days after his arrival, Shamsuddin went to the Sultan. On entering, he kissed the ground before him and greeted him with a royal salute. The Sultan, who was glad to see him, smiled at him and told him to come nearer. He then asked him what he had seen in his travels and what happened to him. Shamsuddin informed him of these occurrences, and the Sultan was astonished and ordered that a statement of them should be inserted in the records to be preserved to future ages. Praise be to Allah, said the Sultan, for the achievement of your desire and your safe return to your family and children. I must see your nephew, Hassan Badruddin, so bring him to court tomorrow. Shamsuddin agreed to this, if Allah Almighty wills, and he took his leave and went out. When he got home, he told his nephew that the Sultan wanted to see him. The servant obeys the order of his master, said Hassan, and he accompanied his uncle to the Sultan's court. When he was in the Sultan's presence, he greeted him with the greatest respect and courtesy and began to recite. The one you have ennobled now kisses the ground, a man whose quest has been crowned with success. You are the Lord of glory. Those who rest their hopes on you obtain what will exalt them in this world. The Sultan smiled, motioning him to sit, and he took his seat near his uncle Shamsuddin. The Sultan then asked him his name, to which he replied, The meanest of your servant is known as Hassan Badruddin, and night and day he invokes blessings on you. The Sultan was pleased with what he had said, and wanted to put his apparent knowledge and good breeding to the test. Do you remember any poetry that describes a mole? he asked. Yes, said Hassan, and he recited. There is a dear one at the thought of whom my tears fall and I wail aloud. He has a mole in beauty and in color, like the pupil of the eye or the heart's core. The Sultan approved of these lines and courteously asked him to produce more, so he recited. Many a mole has been compared to a musk grain, but this comparison is not to be admired. Rather, admire the face encompassing all its beauty, so that no single part is missing from the whole. The sultan rocked with delight and said, Give me more, may Allah fill your life with blessing. Hassan then recited, You on whose cheek the mole is like a grain of musk set on a ruby, grant me your union, and do not be harsh. You who are my heart's wish and its nourishment. Well done, Hassan, said the Sultan. You have shown great proficiency. Now explain to us how many meanings does the word kal or mole have in Arabic. Fifty-eight was his reply, although some may say fifty. Correct, said the Sultan, who then asked him if he knew how beauty can be particularized. Yes, he replied, it comprises brightness of face clear skin, a well-shaped nose, sweet eyes, a lovely mouth, a witty tongue, an elegant frame, and the qualities of refinement, while its perfection is found in the hair. The poet al-Shebab al-Hijazi 
has combined all of these in a poem written in the Raja's meter. Say brightness is in the face, the skin is clear. Let that be what you see. Beauty is rightly ascribed to the nose, while sweetness is attributed to eyes. Yes, and men talk of mouths as beautiful. Learn this from me, and may you not lack rest. The tongue has wittiness, and the frame elegance, whereas refinement lies in the qualities, and perfect loveliness, they say, is in the hair. Listen to my verse, and hold me free from blame. The sultan was pleased with what Hassan had said, and felt well disposed towards him. He then asked him to explain the meaning of the proverbial expression, Shureya is more cunning than the fox. No, your majesty, replied Hassan, may Allah Almighty aid you, that in the plague days Shureya went to Najaf. Whenever he was going to pray, a fox would come and stand opposite him, imitating what he was doing and distracting him from his prayer. When that had gone on for a long time, one day he took off his shirt and put it on a cane with its sleeves spread out. He then put his turban on top of the cane, tied a belt around the middle, and set it up in the place where he prayed. The fox came up as usual and stood in front of it, at which Shuriya came from behind and seized animal. This is the explanation of the saying. When the sultan heard his explanation, he said to Shams al-Din, This nephew of yours is a man of perfect breeding, and I do not believe that his match is to be found in all Egypt. Hassan rose, kissed the ground before the sultan, and took his seat like a mamluk in front of his master. And the sultan, delighted at having discovered the extent of his knowledge of the liberal arts, gave him a splendid robe of honor and invested him with an office that would help him live well. Hassan rose, and after kissing the ground again, he prayed for the sultan's enduring glory, and then asked permission to leave with his uncle Shams al-Din. When this was granted, he left, and he and his uncle returned home. Food was brought, and after they had finished eating a pleasant meal, Hassan went to his wife's apartment, and told her what had happened to him in the sultan's court. She said, He is bound to make you one of his intimate companions, and shower gifts and presents on you. By Allah's grace, you are like a great light spreading the rays of your perfection, wherever you may be on land or sea. He said to her, I want to compose an ode in his honor, so as to increase the love that he feels for me in his heart. A good idea, she agreed, produced good concepts and elegant expressions, and I'm sure that he will find your poem acceptable. Hassan then went by himself and wrote well-formed and elegant expressed lines. They ran as follows. I have a heroic patron soaring to the heights of greatness and treading on the path of generous and noble men. His justice brings security to every land and for his enemies he has barred the path. He is a lion, pious and astute. If you call him king or angel, he is both. Those who ask him for favors are sent back rich. There are no words to sum him up. On the day of generosity, he is the shining dawn, while on the day of battle, he is darkest night. 
our necks are fettered with his generosity, and by his favors he masters the freeborn. Allah grant us that he may enjoy long life, defending him from all that may bring harm. When he had finished composing this piece, he sent it to the Sultan with one of his uncle's slaves. The Sultan studied it with delight and read it out to those who were in attendance on him. They were enthusiastic in their praise, and the Sultan summoned Hassan and told him when he came, From this day on you are my intimate companion, and I have decreed for you a monthly allowance of a thousand dirhams, in addition to what I have already assigned you. Hassan rose and thrice kissed the ground before the Sultan, praying for his lasting glory and long life. From then on he enjoyed lofty status, his fame spread throughout the lands, and he lived in the greatest comfort and ease with his uncle and his family, and the vizier resided with his brother's son, and his own daughter, and their son, and with the wife of his brother, and all of them passed their lives in the enjoyment of the utmost happiness until they were visited by the terminator of delights and the separator of companions. Such, O Prince of the Faithful, said Jafar, were the events that happened to the vizier Shamsuddin and his brother Nuruddin. By Allah, exclaimed the Khalif Harun al-Rashid, this story is wonderful. These accounts should be written down in letters of gold. He then freed the slave and provided the young man with a monthly allowance to allow him to live in comfort. And he gave one of his own concubines the young man who had killed his wife and appointed him a regular maintenance. And the young man became one of his companions at the table and enrolled him among his intimates. This tale, however, is not more wonderful than the story of what happened in the case of the tailor, the hunchback, the Jew, the inspector, and the Christian. What was that? asked the Shanshah, and Shahrazad explained. The Story of the Humpback There was, in ancient times, in the city of Al-Basra, a tailor who enjoyed an ample income and was fond of sport and merriment. An open-handed man, with a liking for pleasure and entertainment. He was in the habit of going out occasionally with his wife, that they might amuse themselves with strange and diverting scenes, and from time to time to see the sights. And one day they went forth in the afternoon, and returning home in the evening, met a hump-backed man, whose aspect was such as to excite laughter in the angry, and to dispel anxiety and grief. So they approached him to enjoy the pleasure of gazing at him, and invited him to return with them to their house, and to join them in a carousal that night. He assented to their proposition, and after he had gone with them to the house, the tailor went out to the market, night having then approached. He brought some fried fish and bread, and limes and sweetmeat, and returning with them, placed the fish before the humpback, and they sat down to eat. And the tailor's wife took a large piece of fish, and crammed the humpback with it, and closing his mouth with her hand, said, By Allah, 
thou shalt not swallow it, but by gulping it at once, and I will not give thee time to chew it. He therefore swallowed it, but it contained a large and sharp bone, which struck a cross in his throat, his destiny having so determined, and he expired. Night 25 Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the twenty-fifth night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shehanshah, that when the tailor's wife gave the hunchback a mouthful of fish to eat, as his allotted span had ended, he died instantly. The tailor exclaimed, There is no strength nor power but in Allah, the High, the Great. Alas, this poor creature should not have died but in this manner by our hands. Wherefore this idling, exclaimed the woman, haven't you heard what the poet says? Why do I try to console myself with the impossible when I have never met a friend to bear my sorrows? How can one sit on a fire before it is put out? To sit on a fire brings harm. And what can I do? asked her husband. Arise, she answered, and take him in thy bosom, and cover him with a silk napkin. I will go out first, and do thou follow me this very night, and say, This is my son, and this is his mother, and we are going to convey him to the physician, that he might give him some medicine. No sooner had the tailor heard these words, than he arose, and took the humpback in his bosom. His wife, accompanying him, exclaimed, O my child, may Allah preserve thee. Where is the part in which thou feelest pain, and where hath this smallpox attacked thee? So every one who saw them said, They are conveying a child smitten with the smallpox. Thus they proceeded inquiring as they went for the abode of the physician, and the people directed them to the house of a physician who was a Jew, and they knocked at the door, and there came down to them a black slave girl, who opened the door and beheld a man carrying, as she imagined, a child, and attended by its mother, and she said, What is your business? We have a child here, answered the tailor's wife, and we want the physician to see him. Take then this quarter of a piece of gold, and give it to thy master, and let him come down and see my son, for he is ill. The girl therefore went up, and the tailor's wife, entering the vestibule, said to her husband, Leave the humpback here, and let us take ourselves away. And the tailor accordingly set him up against the wall, and went out with his wife. The slave girl, meanwhile, went in to the Jew and said to him, Below in the house is a sick person with a woman and a man, and they have given me a quarter of a piece of gold for thee, that thou mayest prescribe for them what may suit his case. And when the Jew saw the quarter of a piece of gold, he rejoiced, and, rising in haste, went down in the dark, and in doing so his foot struck against the lifeless humpback, O Urza, he exclaimed, O heavens and the Ten Commandments, O Aaron and Joshua, son of Nun, it seemeth that I have stumbled against the sick person, 
and he hath fallen down the stairs and died. And how shall I go forth with one killed from my house, O Urza's ass? He then raised him, and took him up from the court of the house to his wife, and acquainted her with the accident. And why sittest thou here idle? said she. For if thou remain thus until daybreak, our lives will be lost. Let me and thee then take him up to the terrace, and throw him into the house of our neighbor the Muslim, for he is the steward of the sultan's kitchen, and often do the cats come to his house, and eat of the food which they find there, as do the mice too, and if he remain there for the night, the dogs will come down to him from the terraces, and eat him up entirely. So the Jew and his wife went up, carrying the humpback, and let him down by his hands and feet to the pavement, placing him against the wall, which having done, they descended. Not long had the humpback been thus deposited, when the steward returned to his house, and opened the door, and going up with a lighted candle in his hand, found a son of Adam standing in the corner near the kitchen, upon which he exclaimed, What is this? By Allah, the thief that hath stolen our goods, is none other than a son of Adam, who taketh what he findeth of flesh or grease, even though I keep it concealed from the cats and the dogs. If I killed all the cats and dogs of the quarter, it would be of no use, for he cometh down from the terraces. I have put myself in the wrong by killing them, when all the time it was you coming down from the roof. May Allah curse the fat and the sheep's tail. And so saying, he took up a great mallet and struck him with it, and then, drawing close to him, gave him a second blow with it upon the chest, when the humpback fell down, and he found that he was dead. Whereupon he grieved and said, There is no strength nor power but in Allah. And he feared for himself and exclaimed, Curse upon the grease and the flesh, and upon this night, in which the destiny of this man hath accomplished by my hand. Then looking at him and perceiving that he was a humpback, he said, It is not enough that thou art humpbacked, but thou must also be a robber, and steal the flesh and the grease. O protector, cover me with thy gracious shelter. And he lifted him upon his shoulders and descended and went forth from his house towards the close of the night, and stopped not until he had conveyed him to the commencement of the market street, where he placed him upon his feet by the side of a shop at the entrance of a lane, and there left him and retired. Soon after there came a Christian, the sultan's broker, who in a state of intoxication had come forth to visit the bath, realizing in his drunkenness that was nearly the time for matins, and he advanced, staggering, until he drew near to the humpback, he squatted down to urinate, when he turned his eyes and beheld one standing by him. Now some persons had snatched off his turban early in the night, and when he saw the humpback standing there, he concluded that he intended to do the same. So he clenched his fist and struck him on the neck. Down fell the humpback upon the ground, and the Christian called out to the watchmen of the market, 
While still in the excess of his intoxication, he continued beating the humpback and attempting to throttle him. As he was thus employed, the watchman came, and finding the Christian kneeling upon the Muslim and beating him, said, Arise and quit him. He arose, therefore. What has he done? he asked. The Christian said, He wanted to steal my turban, and the watchman, approaching the humpback, saw that he was dead, and exclaimed, How is it that the Christian dareth to kill the Muslim? Then, seizing the Christian, he bound his hands behind him, and took him to the house of the wali, the Christian saying within himself, O heavens, O virgin, how have I killed this man, and how quickly did he die from a blow of the hand? Intoxication had departed, and reflection had come. The humpback and the Christian passed the remainder of the night in the house of the wali, and the wali ordered the executioner to proclaim the Christian's crime and he set up a gallows and stationed him beneath it. The executioner then came and threw the rope around his neck and was about to hang him when the sultan's steward pushed through the crowd, seeing the Christian standing beneath the gallows and the people made way for him, and he said to the executioner, Do it not, for it was I who killed him. Wherefore didst thou kill him? said the wali. He answered, I went into my house last night and saw that he had descended from the terrace and stolen my goods, so I struck him with a mallet upon his chest and he died. So I carried him out and conveyed him to the market street, where I set him up in such a place at the entrance of such a lane. Is it not enough for me to have killed a Muslim that a Christian should be killed on my account? Hang then none but me. The wali therefore, when he heard these words, liberated the Christian broker and said to the executioner, Hang this man on the grounds of his confession. And he took off the rope from the neck of the Christian and put it round the neck of the steward, and having stationed him beneath the gallows, was about to hang him when the Jewish physician pushed through the crowds and called out to the executioner, saying to him, Do it not, for none killed him but I, and the case was this. I was at home last night when a man and a woman knocked at my door, bringing with them this hunchback who was sick. They gave my servant girl a quarter of a dinar. She told me about them and handed me the money, but it turned out the pair had brought the hunchback into the house, left him on the stairs and gone off. And as I descended to him, but in the darkness I tripped over him, I struck him with my foot, and he fell down to the bottom of the stairs, and he died. My wife and I carried him up to the roof, and lowered him into the ventilation shaft of this inspector, who lives next door to us. The man was dead, but when the inspector came and found him in his house, he took him for a thief and struck him with a hammer so that he fell to the ground, leaving the inspector to think that he had killed him. Isn't it enough for me to have unknowingly killed one Muslim, that I should knowingly be responsible for the death of another? Kill not the steward, therefore, but kill me. So the wali gave orders to hang the Jewish physician, and the executioner took off the rope from the steward's neck and put it around the neck of the Jew. But lo, the tailor came and forcing his way among the people, said to the executioner, 
do it not, for none killed him but I, and it happened thus. I was out amusing myself during the day, and as I was returning at the commencement of night, I met this humpback in a state of intoxication, with a tambourine, and singing merrily, and I stopped to divert myself by looking at him, and took him to my house. I then brought some fish, and we sat down to eat, and my wife took a piece of fish, and a morsel of bread, and crammed them into his mouth, and he was choked and instantly died. Then I and my wife took him to the house of the Jew, and the girl came down and opened the door, and while she was up to her master, I set the humpback by the stairs and went away with my wife. So when the Jew came down and stumbled against him, he thought he had killed him. And he said to the Jew, Is this true? He answered, Yes. The tailor then, looking at the wali, said to him, Liberate the Jew and hang me. And when the wali heard this, he was astonished at the case of the humpback and said, Verily, this is an event that should be recorded in the books. And he said to the executioner, Liberate the Jew and hang the tailor on account of his own confession. So the executioner led him forward, saying, Dost thou put forward this and take back that, and saying we shall not hang one? I am tired of this, complained the executioner. I bring one man forward and put another one back, and no one gets hanged. And he put the rope around the neck of the tailor. So much for these people. Now the humpback was the sultan's buffoon, and the sultan could not bear him to be out of his sight. And when the humpback had gotten drunk, and been absent that night and the next day until noon, the sultan inquired respecting him of some of his attendants, and they answered him, O our lord, the wali hath taken him forth dead, and gave orders to hang the person who killed him. And there came a second and a third person, each saying, None killed him but I, and describing to the wali the cause of his killing him. When the sultan therefore heard this, he called out to the chamberlain and said to him, Go down to the wali and bring them all hither before me. So the chamberlain went down and found that the executioner had almost put to death the tailor, and he called out to him, saying, Do it not, and informed the wali that the case had been reported to the sultan. And he took him and the humpback born with him, and the tailor, and the Jew, and the Christian, and the steward, and went up with them all to the sultan. And when the wali came into the presence of the sultan, he kissed the ground and related to him all that had happened. And the sultan was astonished and was moved with merriment at hearing this tale, and he commanded that it should be written in letters of gold. He then said to those who were present, Have ye ever heard anything like the story of this humpback? And upon this the Christian advanced and said, O Sultan of the age, if thou permit me, I will relate to thee an event that hath occurred to me more wonderful and strange and exciting than the story of the humpback. Tell us then thy story, said the Sultan. And the Christian related as follows. The story told by the Christian broker. Know, O Sultan of the age, that I came to this country with merchandise, and destiny stayed me among your people. 
I was born in Cairo and am one of its Kyrene Copt, and there I was brought up. My father was a broker, and when I had attained to manhood, he died and I succeeded to his business. And as I was sitting one day, though a young man of most handsome aspect, clad in a dress of the richest description, came to me, riding upon an ass, and when he saw me, saluted me, whereupon I rose to him to pay him honor, and he produced a handkerchief containing some sesame, and said, What is the value of an ardeb of this? I answered him, A hundred pieces of silver, and he said to me, Take the carriers and the measurers, and repair to the Khan of Al-Jawali, in the district of Bab al-Nasr. There wilt you find me. And he left me and went his way, after giving me the handkerchief with the sample of the sesame. So I went around to the purchasers, and the price of each ardeb amounted to a hundred and twenty pieces of silver, and I took with me four carriers and went to him. I found him awaiting my arrival, and when he saw me he rose and opened a magazine, and we measured its contents, and the whole amounted to fifty ardebs. The young man then said, Thou shalt have for every ardeb ten pieces of silver as thy brokerage, and do thou receive the price and keep it in thy care. The whole sum will be five thousand, and thy share of it five hundred, so there will remain for me four thousand and five hundred. And when I shall have finished the sale of the goods contained in my storerooms, I will come to thee and receive it. I replied, It shall be as thou desirest, and I kissed his hand and left him. Thus there accrued to me on that day a thousand pieces of silver besides my brokerage. He was absent from me a month at the expiration of which he came and said to me, Where is the money? I answered, Here it is, ready. And he said, Keep it until I come to thee to receive it. And I remained expecting him, but he was absent from me another month, after which he came again and said, Where is the money? Whereupon I arose and saluted him, and said to him, Wilt thou eat something with us? He however declined and said, Keep the money until I shall have gone and returned to receive it from thee. He then departed, and I arose and prepared for him the money, and sat expecting him. But again he absented himself from me for a month, and then came and said, After this day I shall receive it from thee. And when he departed, and I made ready the money for him, as before, and sat awaiting his return. Again, however, he remained a month absent from me, and I said within myself, Warily, this young man is endowed with consummate liberality. After the month he came, attired in rich clothing and resembling the full moon, appearing as if he had just come out of the bath, with red cheek and fair forehead, and a mole like a gobule of ambergris, as the poet says. Sun and moon have met in the same zodiac sign, rising with supreme beauty and good fortune. This beauty shows us why men envy them, how lovely they are when the call of joy rings out. Beauty and grace complete their charms, which intelligence adorns and modesty distinguishes. 
Allah be praised, how wonderful is his creation. His wishes with regard to his creation are what he carries out. When I beheld him, I kissed his hand and invoked a blessing upon him, and said to him, O my master, wilt thou not take thy money? What's the hurry? he asked. Have patience with me, he answered, until I shall have transacted all my affairs, after which I will receive it from thee. So saying, he departed, and I said within myself, By Allah, when he cometh, I will entertain him as a guest on account of the profit which I have derived from his money, for great wealth hath accrued to me from it. By Allah, I said, when he comes next, I must offer him hospitality because I have made a fortune of trading with his dirhams. At the close of the year he returned, clad in a dress richer than the former, and I swear to him that he should alight to be my guest, on the condition he replied that thou expend nothing of my money that is in thy possession. I said, well, and having seated him, prepared what was requisite of meats and drinks and other provisions, and placed them before him, saying, In the name of Allah, and he drew near to the table, and put forth in his left hand, and thus ate with me. So I was surprised at him, and when we had finished, he washed his hand, and I gave him a napkin with which to wipe it. We then sat down to converse, and I said, O my master, dispel a trouble from my mind. Wherefore didst thou eat with thy left hand? Probably something paineth thee in thy right hand. When he heard this, he recited, Friend, do not ask what burns within my heart, lest you should bring to light my sickness. Not of my free will will have I kept company with Selma in place of Layla, but necessity has its own laws. On hearing these words, he stretched forth his arm from his sleeve, and behold, it was maimed, an arm without a hand, and I wondered at this. But he said to me, Wonder not, nor say in thy heart that I ate with thee with my left hand from a motive of self-conceit, or rather to be wondered at is the cause of cutting off my right hand. And what, said I, was the cause of it? He answered thus. Know that I am from Baghdad. My father was one of the chief people of that city, and when I had attained the age of manhood, I heard the wanderers and travelers and merchants conversing respecting the land of Egypt, and their words remained in my heart until my father died, when I took large sums of money and prepared merchandise consisting of the stuffs of Baghdad and of Al-Mosul, and similar precious goods consisting of fabrics from Baghdad and Mosul, all of which I loaded up before setting out, and having packed them up, journeyed from Baghdad, and Allah decreed me safety until I entered your city, and so saying he wept and repeated these verses. The blear-eyed escapeth a pit into which the clear-sighted falleth, and the ignorant, an expression by which the shrewd sage is ruined. The believer can scarce earn his food, while the impious infidel is favored. What art or act can a man devise? It is what the Almighty appointeth. Here the young man broke into tears and recited, 
The blind man may escape a pit in which the man of keen sight will be trapped. The ignorant may not be injured by a word that brings destruction on learned and clever men. A believer may find it hard to earn his daily bread, unlike the unbeliever and the libertine. Of what use are man's action and his schemes? What happens is what fate decrees for him. I entered Cairo, continued the young man, and deposited the stuff in the Khan of Masrur, and having unbound my packages and put them in the magazines, gave to the servant some money to buy for us something to eat, after which I slept a little, and when I arose, I went to the Bain al-Kasarin. I then returned and passed night, and in the morning following I opened a bale of stuff, and said within myself, I will arise and go through some of the market streets and see the state of the mart. So I took some stuff, selected some fabrics, and made some of my servants carry it, and I proceeded until I arrived at the Kesariya of Jaharkas, where the brokers came to me having heard of my arrival, and took from me the stuff and carried it about for sale, but the price bidden amounted not to the prime cost. And upon this the sheikh of the broker said to me, O my master, I know a plan by which thou mayest profit, and it is this, that thou do as other merchants, and sell thy merchandise upon credit for a certain period, employing a scrivener and a witness and a money changer, and receive a portion of the profits every Thursday and Monday, so shalt thou make of every piece of silver too, and besides that, thou wilt be able to enjoy the amusements offered by Egypt and its Nile. The advice is judicious, I replied, and accordingly I took the brokers with me to the Khan, and they conveyed the stuffs to the Kesariya, where I sold it to the merchants writing a bond in their names, which I committed to the money changer in taking from him a corresponding bond. I then returned to the Khan and remained there some days, and every day I took for my breakfast a cup of wine, and had mutton and sweetmeats prepared for me, until the month in which I became entitled to the receipt of the profits, when I seated myself every Thursday and Monday at the shops of the merchants, and the money changer went with the scrivener and brought me the money. Thus did I, until one day, I went to the bath and returned to the Khan, and entering my lodging, took for my breakfast a cup of wine, and then slept. And when I awoke, I ate a fowl, and perfumed myself with essence, and repaired to the shop of a merchant named Badruddin al-Bustani, the gardener, who, when he saw me, welcomed me, and conversed with me a while in his shop. And as we were thus engaged, Lo, a female came with a proud carriage and a haughty gait, and seated herself by my side. She wore a headkerchief, inclined on one side, and the odors of sweet perfumes were diffused from her, and she captivated my reason by her beauty and loveliness, as she raised her izhar, and I beheld her black eyes. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on coffee. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, 
please click on the link available on our many social media platforms or email us. Why not donate to our coffee to show your appreciation? Every bit helps and we thank you for your continued support. We love that our listeners love listening to us. Welcome to the vocabulary section for episode 19. First, let's look at some of the terms that were used in this episode. Broker, a person who buys and sells goods or assets. Ardib, a dry measure used in Egypt and other Middle Eastern countries. In Egypt, it is approximately equal to 0.195 cubic meters. Al-Jawali, an extensive complex designed in an Alpine architectural style. Contains a mosque, a madarsa or school, khanaka for Sufis, and a mausoleum. Built by Sanjar ibn Abdullah Alam al-Din Abu Said al-Jawali, a Mamluk in 1304 CE. Bab al-Nasr, one of the three remaining gates in the historic city walls of Cairo. Constructed in 1085 CE, ordered by Badr al-Jamali, a Fatimid vizier. Its name means Gate of Victory or of Aid. Composed of two rectangular towers. Bain al-Qasirin or Bain al-Qasirin, betwixt the palaces, by the present Suk an-Nahasin. Located along Al-Muiz Street in the center of medieval Islamic Cairo. Constructed in the 10th century by the Fatimids. Khan of Mansur is located in this place. Kesariya, a superior kind of souk or market. Scrivener, a clerk, scribe or notary. Money changer, a person whose business is the exchange of one currency for another. Al-Shihab al-Hijazi was an Egyptian writer and poet. Suraya, full name Suraya ibn al-Harith ibn Qais ibn al-Jahum al-Kindi, died June 697 80 after Hijra, was a judge and renowned for his justice and good judgment. From Yemen and relocated to Kufa in Iraq. Matins, a service of morning prayer in various churches, especially in the Anglican Church, or a service forming part of the traditional divine office of the Western Christian Church, originally said or chanted at or after midnight, historically held with lauds on the previous evening. Sweetmeat, an item of confection or sweet food. Urza. Urza the scribe was an important Jewish scribe and priest in the early Second Temple period. Aaron. Harun ibn Iman is a prophet and messenger of Allah and the older brother of Moses, along with his brother, preached the Israelites to the Exodus. Joshua. Yusa bin Nun functioned as Moses' assistant and later succeeded as leader of the Israelites, was one of the twelve spies of Israel sent by Moses to explore the land of Canaan. Nun, a man from the tribe of Ephraim and father of Joshua. Terraces, an external raised open flat area in either a landscape near a building or as a roof terrace on a flat roof. Adam, believed to be the first human being on earth and the first prophet. Wali, means master, authority, custodian, or protector, literally friend of Allah.
gallows, a structure typically of two uprights, and a cross piece for hanging criminals. Buffoon, a ridiculous but amusing person, a clown. Copt, a member of the traditional monophysite church originating and centered in Egypt. Urza's ass. Urza riding on an ass by the ruins of Jerusalem after it had been destroyed by the Chaldeans, doubted in his mind by what means Allah could raise the city and its inhabitants again. Whereupon Allah caused him to die and he remained in that condition a hundred years, at the end of which Allah restored him to life and he found a basket of figs and a cruise of wine he had with him, not in the least spoiled or corrupted, but his ass was dead and the bones only remaining and these while the prophet looked on were raised and clothed with flesh becoming an ass again which being inspired with life began immediately to bray from sally's quran chapter 2 page 31 1734 edition now let's look at some of the vocabulary he used in this episode blurry eyed having eyes that looked very tired and watery ennobled to give someone a noble rank or title. Liberality, the quality of giving or spending freely. Libertine, a person, especially a man, who behaves without moral principles or a sense of responsibility. Gobule, a round small particle of a substance or a drop. Self-conceit, undue pride in oneself. Merriment, gaiety and fun. Carousal, the act of celebrating and enjoying oneself. Commencement, a beginning or start. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.